Hi, my name is Derek Weyrush. I'm the president and CEO of Palladium One Mining. Palladium One is a green transportation metals company exploring in Finland and Canada. Hello, my name is Neil Pettigrew. I'm the vice president of exploration at Palladium One. And uh, we're going to be going through our Finnish and Canadian projects today. Guys, good to have you on. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming back um, on the show. Um, there's a reason for it, and that's because you put out a, uh, a resource, and I want to talk to you about it because there's a lot going on in the press release, um, and I want to make sure I sort of understand the moving parts here. But before I do, Derek, I need to talk to you. Um, Palladium. We've seen. We we talked last time out about the um, geopolitical effects, obviously Russia in in Ukraine and Norilsk and all of those good things, which may affect your market, your your, your kind of flagship market there. Um, also, recently we've seen um, you know Finland talk about wanting to join NATO, and Russia doesn't like that. So, what if what effect will that have on your market again? Does that concern you, or is that an actual opportunity. Well, I won't profess to be an expert on uh, geopolitics, but uh, I can comment that so far what we're seeing in country is business as usual. There really hasn't been a lot of uh, concern expressed. But uh, when I talk to investors, um, yeah, people are raising the issue. Is Finland going to join NATO? What, what, what does that mean? You know, my my lay uh, interpretation is that I don't think it's going to do a whole heck of a lot. I don't see anybody invading Russia from uh, from Finland, nor uh, Russia going after a massive oil reserves that are uh, that are sitting there. And also, at the end of the day, it's probably a good idea to have a buffer zone <laughs> between, uh, you know, let's call it Western Europe and uh, and Russia. So. Um, it's something to be uh, thought about, but I'm not really uh, too concerned with it at this point in time. I think we're just going to have to wait and see how things develop. Okay, okay. Um, look, we're here. To, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm not a, not a geopolitical expert myself, but it's, it's sort of intriguing, and we had a few questions um, sent in with regards to that, so it's worth addressing. Let's talk about this um, new resource. Okay, um, what? How do we read it? Because it, it, you know, it, it, there's, there's a lot, lot going on. What am I meant to be looking at? Yeah, this announcement we did on uh, on the 25th of the month is uh, got a lot of meat in it, and um, we've really got two main things happening. One, we have an update to our resources in Finland, our overall endowment, as well as we've uh, presented the information related to our phase two metallurgical testing program, which is a huge de-risking activity uh, for the project. Now. What uh, I think people should take away is that our resources have grown by about 84% since, uh, you know, with this release. We're looking at about 1.8 million ounces palladium equivalent in the indicated category, plus another 2.3 million ounces palladium equivalent in the inferred category. So, you know, that's over uh, 4.1 million ounces all told, and that's using a $1,700 palladium price deck. And you know, a couple of takeaways that uh, I think are really important is that at our Kakua deposit, where we already had a resource, the uh, the indicated uh, percentage went up 98%. Almost the entire resource that we've disclosed at uh, the Kakua deposit is in the indicated category, and that represents about 1.1 million ounces alone. And we've brought in the Kakua South uh, deposits, the separate uh, the open pit. And we're coming out of the gate with a maiden resources, about 34% in the indicated category, 700, 
1,000 ounces palladium equivalent uh, indicated and 1.36 million ounces palladium equivalent inferred. So quite a sizable increase. It's, you know, if you add, add those two together, it'd be just over 2 million ounces just coming from uh, Kukua South. And as well, we've added a, another pit to the resource, a little satellite pit to the, uh, the north of Kukua called Myrtolampi. It's about 150,000 ounces at this point in time. And uh, we're really excited with this. And I think we've very much got critical mass to uh, start thinking about next steps. But even with that, um, we have uh, also disclosed um, in the report a, a target potential. And uh, there's very much a, a clear path, I think, to continuing to, uh, to increase the, uh, the resource. Okay. You, you needed to do this because you, you needed to kind of, well, one, it's the kind of good news in the market to show the kind of scale. Uh, of, of what you got here, but like you said, you, you just said, what next? What's it informed you? Oh, so how has it informed you? What, what, what do you do next with this project? Well, we're now at a position with a, a resource of this size and the robustness of the metallurgical work that we are announced. Um, in, in that really well, let's, let's start with that. Let, let's start. Sorry, let's start. Yeah, let, let's start with the Met. But then I, I'm, I'm intrigued about how you move this forward, especially in this current economic environment. And I do want to talk to you about you know what's going on out there. So get, give us go through the Met stuff, and then let's let's come back to intent. Well, maybe I'll, I'll pass it over to Neil so everybody can get to know him. Better. Okay, sure. Hey. So, so the uh, we did do a very extensive metallurgical program, right? And we have talked about that more than a metric ton of material. Uh, blended from both Kakua and Kakua South was sent to SGS. And uh, this, this program was really meant to, uh, you know, optimize it because the previous test work had actually be done at a higher grade, uh, about uh, 2.4 grams platinum equivalent, and ours was much more in line with the average grade of the current resource. And the results were actually uh, quite surprising. We, we very much reproduced the previous recoveries. And uh, what we found is the material is actually uh, quite consistent in uh, recovery and uh, the only thing that's really affected by grade is the nickel recovery because there is a silicate nickel component and as you go lower you get lower recoveries of nickel but importantly the palladium equivalent recovery um, really was a kind of independent of grade and uh, that had a great influence on uh, you know the overall recovery of the material we also really had um, a very good success in making a copper and nickel con so previous work had only produced a bulk con, and uh, we were able to successfully make a, a highly saleable copper con with 30% copper in it. Um, you know, that has a, an in-situ value of about $6,300 a ton, and so that was very good. And the nickel con was also quite saleable. And so we, we actually have um, a value of about $4,200 in the nickel con. And when you compare that to Sudbury-type material, they're coming in around $3,500 a ton. And so we were actually quite pleased because the way to think about these things isn't that they are base metal cons, they are PGE rich uh, base metal cons. And so really the total value of the con is what you need to look at. So, so explain, again, there's a lot of new people coming into this space from yep. the tech world and, and other, not quite sure of the vocabulary or you know what, what, what things mean, what's good looks like, what bad looks like. Um, and we've 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 run a series called the Con actually on, on our private investment platform. So it, it, you know, ex explain the, the the concentrate aspect to a business with polymetallics. It's it, it's a positive and, and a negative in, in a way because you've got to manage them manage that in in very different ways depending on what what you see coming back and values of of commodities in the marketplace. So from the network that you've done, 
How, how do you see this thing um, playing out, um, and you know, which way do you go? Well, so the uh, you know the next step would be to you know go look at other smelters. So we did get some initial terms, but these are preliminary terms, right? So we haven't actually produced uh, material to physically ship to smelters for testing. But the uh, you know the thing to think about with polymetallics, as you say, they're a little more complicated than a gold system. You have two stages of recovery. You have the flotation recovery, where you actually produce your concentrate. And we are very happy with the concentrate grades. We're very low mass pull, 1.2%. So shipping, uh, we also have some great advantages in that we are only two hours drive from tidewater and um, pretty much two hours from uh, a smelting capacity in Finland. And so our transportation costs will be very low. And then we already comes down to the concentrate. And so the concentrate has a lot of factors to it, not just the total grade of the metals in it and its value, but whether or not it's clean, you know, so this stuff is actually quite low MGO, uh, less than 6%, which is important for nickel smelters. It's also a high sulfide, high iron concentrate, which has other benefits to the smelters. And so this really becomes down to the saleability because what you get paid for your concentrate uh, makes a big difference in the economics of any project. Well, absolutely. So, so let's let's talk about, again. Just help people understand the payable side of of, of of the business in terms of you know what you know what it costs you to be able to deliver into whatever the the the, the, smelt, the smelter uh, wants. Sure. Okay, so let's just pick one element because yeah. we got six we're talking. Yeah, about. So we'll talk about palladium, which is the main value, right? So right. About fifty percent of the project's value is in the palladium. Got it. And we have a seventy-three percent recovery on the palladium through flotation. And then after you send it to the, to the smelter, you have uh, about an 85% payable on that metal, right? And that's because there are treatment charges and so forth from the smelter, right? And so you have to factor that into your ultimate economics, right? And then you have to work out those for the other metals to come back to the total dollar value payable at the end of the day. Right. Yeah, and so unfortunately, look- it is a bit of math. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of math here. It's it's quite complicated, and, and you know that the way that I think uh, think about it is that at the end of the day, in terms of the net revenue that we would anticipate getting based on on the um, the work that we've done here, about sixty percent of the in the future revenue would be precious metals, about forty four percent palladium. Then there'd be platinum, gold, making up about sixty percent. The balance of the revenue would be comprised of uh, copper being the next biggest item at, at about 29% and then nickel. And what the smelters are doing is, is paying you different percentages of the contained metal for each of those metals. Right. Again, I guess my point is people, it's like the met work you've just done is really, really important now because you've got to start making decisions about how you how this you know, what you're seeing in terms of the homogenous nature of what's going back through the drill bit, but also, you know, starting to plan the, the future and the sorts of conversations you need to have okay. now. Well, I think that's a big part of, of the work that we did. We really wanted to de-risk the project by incorporating the results of a robust metallurgical testing program into the block model. So each of these six by six meter blocks, we've got about 1.5 million of them in, in the resource model, um, can be appropriately assessed. So we did uh, variability testing on the various rock types across the uh, the deposit to see if there's any variances along the way. We've incorporated any variance into the uh, block model. We've also done variability testing on grade for the different rock types to also incorporate that in the model, as well as creating a master composite 
that would represent uh, on a holistic basis the uh, the deposit, and that's all been factored in as well. And what what we've seen is a very consistently reproducible recovery rate into concentrate. And again, you know, concentrate we're just concentrating the metals and throwing away as much as possible. And we, and we concentrate the metals into about 1.2% of the, the original mass. But all that data has been incorporated in, in, in because we've done such an extensive job on the, uh, the variability testing, we think it's you know very informative and very helpful in terms of de-risking the project. Obviously, next steps as you move a project forward, and let's say you're going up to, towards a, a bankable feasibility study or a definitive feasibility study at the highest levels, there's going to be more of this type of work done to so continually de-risk it, but I think we've made a huge stride forward, especially at such an early stage of the project. And given we've already getting some um, very preliminary indicative feedback from uh, smelters, we have a you know reasonable understanding of what the uh, they may be paying us for the metals, and hence the uh, the estimated revenues that I that I mentioned earlier. Right. Okay. So it's all kind of a very useful process of, of data gathering, getting the information you need to kind of help you move things forward efficiently. Right. And, you know, the, the, the well, I, I think I've heard you use the phrase before, the ge geology is well understood or continues to be well yes. understood. So we really have a very good handle now on the geology. And what the metallurgical study has done is given us a very good handle on the metallurgy. And the, the real takeaway is the consistency, like our our metallurgical advisor is so happy because he has so much confidence in the ability to produce this because we were able to reproduce these recoveries across different grades, across different rock types. And so that confidence in your ability to produce that concentrate is actually one of the main key takeaways here. Right. And it, it moves towards what I'm always interested in these in, in, in these companies and these conversations is how it delivers against the the business model, right? Because you've got to be as efficient as possible at, at all stages. Um, so geology well understood, metallurgy is now sort of informing how the, the, the kind of steps forward in this because, you know, you, Derek, have got a responsibility to your shareholders to uh, be clear and articulate about what the end game is for you and how you get there in the most efficient manner. So given where you're at now, PEA, I guess, Imminent? Does that process start now, or is there more drilling? Well, I think that process can start now. We're talking in, in all categories, just under 90 million tons of material. And even if you had a fairly large throughput, let's say you know 20,000 tons a day, which is quite a bit going through a mill, you know, that's about 7.1 million tons a year. So you're already dealing with enough material for a fairly robust mine life. And uh, because of that, I think we can now go through the, some other, other additional steps on uh, de-risking and trying to wrap some economics around the project and taking it to the, the, the perspective where an investor could, instead of what they have to do now basically is ascribe an in-situ value per ounce in terms of evaluation metric, we can move towards a, a discount cash flow analysis. But that's, that's going to be some months away. There's, there's some more work to be done with that. But we need to, in our particular case, counterbalance that because typically you'd only do a preliminary economic assessment once you've really defined the ore body and you know, you know the boundaries. Well, this is open laterally. It's open at depth. There's, there's more to come. You know, we're only covering about five kilometers of a 38 kilometer strike zone that we know is uh, mineralized based on historical reconnaissance work that was done. 
But the the evaluation that we're going through is, well, if I keep making this thing bigger, somebody with a spreadsheet is going to come along and say, listen, drive your net present value to the highest possible number you can get in your IRR, and therefore make it even bigger, use economies of scale, et cetera, et cetera, which is all on paper makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. But the reality is by making things bigger, you have a much higher CapEx hurdle. And, you know, you can find the company stuck because it's now defined a project with a CapEx that in no way is financeable without crushing the existing shareholders via dilution. So our objective is quite honestly to define an economically robust project that is as small as possible. (laughs) So we've done all the de-risking items there. Um, while still demonstrating there's a lot more resource upside to this. Because at the end of the day, with the, with the, with the system as big as we have here, you know, I'd hazard to guess we're not the ones that are gonna build this. Somebody larger will, and I think they'll, they would do their own studies and figure out what size is appropriate for their balance sheet. Whereas what we can do is contribute value by de-risking key elements such as the metallurgy proving up there's more to grow and getting the darn thing permitted and moving through that uh, process as well. And, you know, anticipating the the spot we're in now, we actually started the baseline environmental work last year. We've already done our risk analysis uh, roadmap and that work will be continuing over the course of this year as well. See, I, I'm liking this the change of narrative in the market at the moment because you're not the only person that's come on and said, you know, we want to get this thing up and running with the smallest possible project. It is basically saying, instead of saying, let's drill to the edges of the envelope, let's work out how we can get the economics flowing quicker because you, you've got more options at, at that point. We've seen that a lot where people are saying, we don't need to get 100% of the economics through on, on these studies. We can leave something on the table for the big boys, but we need to show that we can get into early revenue. And this is very new for our North, North American thinking. The Aussies do it, but North Americans don't um, tend to. Um, and I'm, I'm liking this change of narrative in this current economic market because the studies are showing that the 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 interest sorry, inflation is causing the capex to rise people are struggling with um you know getting the attention of funders to um you know commit uh hiring people quite frankly is hard the costs are just going through the roof why not try and get into revenue show a route to market show an ability um but understand that there's an expiration component to the continuing story so i i kind of like that approach yeah no, i think it's a very important approach because a larger company is also going to want multi-cycle project they're not going to buy the, the the small project so we've been talking the last couple of years that we've got a thesis we you know we think this thing is going to get bigger We've demonstrated a little bit along the way. Now we've had a fairly large uh, resource increase. And yeah, this thing has the potential to be big. We're going to continue to demonstrate the thesis that it can grow larger. And uh, I just think this is the right approach for these uh, for these times. Okay. So Resource Finland, you're happy with what you've seen. More, so, you're even happier with the what you're what you're getting back from the the metallurgical work that you've you've done. There's a clear path. We've discussed it. Can I can I can I leap over to Canada, please? Um, Absolutely. Because our technical um, uh, analyst was quite excited about what you're doing there and what you're seeing there again in the context of what's going on in the market. Um, 
but just remind people of some of the numbers that you, you achieved last year through the drill bit there. Yeah, no, the Tyco project, in, excuse me, in Ontario, it's it's fantastic, you know, and it's your pure play battery metal uh, project. You know, we won the Discovery of the Year Award uh, for it. Uh, you know, absolutely some great work that, uh, that Neil and the team uh, did on it. But we had at surface 10% nickel copper over four meters. We extended that zone over about 430 meters. Um, at the Smoke Lake uh, area of the property. And it's just a one, one very tiny fraction of the property. We need to extend it even uh, further, but maybe I'll pass it over to Neil to uh, talk more about what the next steps are. Sure. Yeah, the Smoke Lake discovery was quite spectacular. You know, you're talking about uh, almost four meters of uh, 10% nickel equivalent at surface, right? And that's pretty rare. The, uh, the challenge with Tyco is that it's a huge property. Right. And so when we came into this project, um, and this was the legacy project that kind of was the original founding property uh, back when Blading One was known as Nickel One, was that we knew a lot less about this project than we did about our finished project. And so when we just made the discovery at Smoke Lake, we've been really working hard at trying to fill in that knowledge gap on the rest of the project. And uh, we did do that. We've, to a large degree, we flew the whole project with closely spaced uh, V10 Max. And that resulted in four new multi-line EM anomalies on the property. And uh, this is quite exciting because before this, we did not have uh, these conductors. There had been airborne surveys over portions, including the bulldozer intrusion in the past, but these were much less sensitive systems. And so we've actually found two ones in the bulldozer, which as you can see here in the upper right image is a massive mafic ultramafic complex. Uh, and what's really funny about this is it's never been mapped. The Ontario Geological Survey has not even mapped this area because it's in the Black Pit Batlet. And so it's a bit atypical in that the original metasedimentary belt that was in this area has been intruded uh, by the Black Pit Tonalite. And that's com complicated our job a bit because it's broken up the original plumbing system. Uh, whereas the bulldozer intrusion is a little bit more together, things like smoke have been disrupted. And so there is other zones in the property as well. RJ and Tycho and Shabotic. RJ and Tycho are very similar, um, you know, as far as mineralization go to smoke. They aren't massive, but it does show that you've got a very widespread mineralization event. I mean, Smoke Lake and RJ are almost 20 kilometers apart. So the uh, these other targets, though, is really kind of what we're quite interested in as well. And what's really kind of holding us up is our drill permits, which we hope to have shortly. And uh, as we all know in Canada, permitting isn't as fast as we all would like, but it does eventually come to an end. And uh, we've had successfully gotten permits on this project in the past, and so we anticipate these as well. Okay, so you, you, uh, you've talked, um, um, uh, Neil, about to, to, to our guys in the past about these sort of EM conductors that you're seeing you know, across the across um, your property there. But um, I'm, I'm keen on you know how. You, Permits allowing and all of that. Um, how you go about targeting um, and where you apply yourself because there's there's a lot going on there. You you're going to be a little bit cash constrained because you got to work out you know where you spend your money. You got to maybe you know maybe Derek's going to talk about you know are you going to guys going to raise money this year? But what in terms of priorities? What how do you come at this? What, what's important? Well, actually, we, we do have quite a few funds allocated for this project. We did a $5 million uh, flow-through raise at the end of last year, so we're, we're quite capitalized for exploration okay. plans this year. Okay. The priorities really are obviously smoke. You know, I mean, once these new permits kind of come into place, then we can work on in expanding that. 
And the reason that we just haven't been drilling smoke is that the original permitted holes, there was only like a half dozen old pads that we had permitted because it was a soil anomaly at that point, right? So you did not permit an entire drill pad set up for a much larger zone. After smoke, the, the, the main targets are really the bulldozer because this is a very large mafic ultramafic intrusion. And there is one showing uh, in the bulldozer and it's a remobilized zone and it's very copper rich. Um, with a bit of nickel, a bit of PGs, and rather surprisingly high cobalt values. But that sort of indicates that there's some remobilization from a larger body out there. And, uh, you know, these soils that we did over there, uh, if you want to flip a few slides there, Derek, uh, were very impressive. You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, copper anomalies, you know, over 800, almost 900 ppm, and not just in one sample from the bulldozer anomaly, right? And uh, that means there's something there. Uh, and they're coincident with those uh, EM conductors. So so this is very encouraging. And then we have ones like West Pickle Lake. That would be kind of the third target. Uh, that looks to be an extension of whatever the system hosting the RJ zone is, right? And uh, all of these things produced copper and nickel uh, anomalies in the soils. And this is exactly how we found smoke. Smoke was an old airborne EM anomaly, and it was just one dot on the map. From the 1980s, and no one had bothered to check it out because it was out in the middle of a black pick bathlift. And we ran one line of reconnaissance soils over that, and you know we got a massive nickel in soil anomaly. And so we know the procedure, we know how to go exploring in this area, and so the next step is really just drill testing these anomalies. Right, and and so just just coming back on on timing for permits and drilling, etc. I mean, yeah. you say you're you you're fully funded, and in terms of you're getting you. Got the money that you want to be able to allocate to that. So, um, give me give me a sense of timing on permits. They'll come when they come, um, and when they come, I what does that mean? How many drills? Very close. We've been having lots of discussions. Right. right? So okay. the uh, the camp has been built. Like we are ready to go as soon as these things come in. Right. And how aggressive are you going to be? I would say quite. You know, we're going to start with one rig. We'll probably add two, maybe three, depending how things go. You know, I mean, uh, we're a little late starting this year, so obviously we're going to hit it hard. We've got um, a, a plan in place to drill somewhere between 12 and 14,000 meters at uh, Tyco this year. So, uh, yeah, we, we you know, would want to add a couple uh, drill rigs to it. But, uh, yeah, I just want to provide a comment in terms of, um, you know, what Neil was talking about. You know, a lot of times you hear companies say, well, we've got a target and we're going to drill it. I think the reason we've had two discoveries on two continents in the last two years is because, you know, we're taking a very disciplined approach to executing the exploration. We're heavy believers in, uh, in geophysics and doing that. We start off doing that from an airborne perspective, using different techniques. We then do ground-based work, such as the soil samples that we were just talking about. Then after that, we come back and do more ground-based geophysics to really try and vector in and develop those drill targets. And uh, then we go ahead and start the uh, the drilling program. It's the same model we used in Finland, same model we used for the discovery at uh, at Smoke Lake, and uh, it's what we've used for these additional uh, drill targets. So we're um, we're keeping something that works and, um, you know, Neil's leading the charge here. And I think, you know, he and the team are doing an absolutely fantastic job uh, with regards to execution. No, I think, I think, I think so I was about to say te no, technically, right. technically, say. technically to me, it, 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 the both, both projects look, they, they, they look good 
independent of each other. And, and sorry, Neil, before I dive in here, I just want to bring it to, to you know, what's going on in the market a little bit here, because we've talked in the past, Derek, about, you know, the type of business that you are. You're not going to probably build the Finland project out yourself. It's too big. For you, so there's there's a there's an exit strategy. You got to work out you know when that would be. The same with Tyco, how you take you know, you're going to take go through the process that Neil's outlining and and take that so far. But you know, are you the guys to take that into production to be decided? But in the current market, we've seen equities come off, complete disconnect between commodity prices and equity prices for lots of companies. Can you see a position where you think, well, actually, there's some there's some M&A to be done here. I think we're showing that we're, we're good at what we do. I think there's no shortage of money out there. Do you expect more M&A coming through? Yeah, I think as an industry, it still needs to consolidate, and we are going to see more M&A occurring. It, it just makes uh, makes perfect sense. You know, certainly the the share prices have been coming off the market has been soft but you know I'm a firm believer that retail largely drives share prices when we're talking about battery metals the access to capital um, the funds are there you know, there really isn't a whole heck of a lot of a challenge right now if you've got a quality project raising money uh, you've got lots of international funds uh, willing to support good teams with uh, with good projects. But uh, they're also saying, hey, there's too many companies out there with too many projects. And we'd like to see some consolidation. So, yeah, I think I think that's possible that it uh, that um, it's something we look at in the future. Once it once and if we get there, we'll let you know. Thank you very much. Neil, sorry, I interrupted rudely. And um, what were we going to say? Oh, I was just uh, going to further on Derek's comment about uh, that you build targets rather than just test them. Right. So, I mean. You know, our record is pretty good. We hit uh, Kakua South on the uh, sixth hole of our maiden drill program up at uh, LK. And in all honesty, the first five holes were were on Kakua. So literally the first hole on Kakua South was the discovery hole. And the first hole we drilled on Smoke was the discovery hole. So you can only do that by uh, systematically building your targets. Okay. And that's really what I think our core competency is. It is the exploration side of things. Right. So, she gives us a clear so where this company goes and where where money is to be made. I, we don't have to sit. There's not a long ride we're going on for, for, on each project. We're into creating value with the drill bit. Well said. Okay, guys, look, I look, appreciate the update. We, I, we want to stay in regular contact with you. There's a lot going on. We like the plan. We like the projects. We certainly like the commodities and the thematics. So uh, stay in touch. Congrats on the uh, resource. It's, uh, yeah, it's a beauty. I'll be digesting that later today. Excellent. Thank you so much Excellent. for your time.